Paul, what are you doing? What? What are you doing? It sounds like you're working a wrench. Oh, that was my bottle opener. Sorry. Oh. <laughs> that must be one hell of a bottle. Uh, I'm surprised to make that up. <laughs> So, well, what kind of bottle were you opening just then? Uh, actually, today I have the Hopzar from Bridgeport. Nice. Yep, an Imperial IPA with apparently an irresponsible amount of hops. <laughs> irresponsible. It really is, and, and it's quite good. I'm sure that if if hoppiness was a sin, it would have been mentioned in the Bible. <laughs> uh, we'll get to it. We'll get to hoppiness later. Uh, <laughs> I have a... A Smithwick's Irish Ale, which is, uh, you know, it's just a, tip, a typical kind of uh, Irish ale. It's from the Brewers of Guinness, and it's... Mm. Oh, I've seen that. I've never had it. Okay, um, <clears throat> I have a Alpine Black IPA from Otter Creek. Sweet. Otter Creek. Man, I feel left out. Everyone's doing IPAs. <clears throat> if, I'd, if I'd have got the IPA memo, I would have... <laughs> Summer's a good time for IPAs. Um, hmm. If you say so. I, I generally, for some reason, prefer lagers and, and things like that in the winter and IPAs in the summer. I haven't figured that out yet. That's really weird. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. This is a strange IPA, though. It's it's black. Oh, really? Very dark. Huh. Hmm. I prefer light beer in the summer because... I'm swimming in swimsuits. Well, it's not really summer here in Vermont. <laughs> not for a while. It's, it's been like in the 70s and 80s around here in Oklahoma lately. But, oh, Jesus. Yeah. Okay, let's get Hope to it. Let's, let's get let's get through Second Samuel. You guys just hit me up with whatever it is you want to talk about. And I don't really care if we go in order. I just want to be sure we get the, get the high points tonight. First of all, we have a Who Killed JR here at the very beginning. <laughs> Uh, and of course, by Jr. I mean uh, Saul. Right. Uh, Saul and Jonathan well, are dead, but then the Amalekites are. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, it was. It was. Uh, at first, yeah. Sorry, I'm. Because there's. What was the kid's name who comes running up to David and is like, "Oh yeah, they're dead." It just said it was Amalekite, right? Right. It just said it was Amalekite. I didn't know that. Some random Amalekite, and they all deserve to die anyway. Whether or not (laughs) they're telling the truth about Saul, an Amalekite deserves to die. That the Bible's made that clear. My my notes say that um, it's uh, he's a mercenary working with David. Okay. Um, but that could be wrong. I mean... Why would a mercenary who's working with David claim to have escaped from the Israelite camp? Because, um, Saul... At this point, Saul's leading the Israelite troops and David's leading the, um, Judean troops. Okay, okay. So we need to be clear that... And I don't know if we've mentioned this before in the show. At this point, the kingdom is divided, uh... Saul's Israel in the north and David's with Judah... In the south. Right. Exactly Wait, what you what'd said. What'd you say? Yeah. Okay. I just wanted to be clear on the fact that it... You see, uh, a lot of people tend to think of Israel as the whole thing. 
Yeah. Which I suppose you could say it is under David, but right now it's still Israel in the north and Judah in the south. Yeah, that's really... I was surprised when I first started learning about this stuff how little that's discussed. I mean, Israel is basically all of the tribes except for Judah. And I think Benjamin sometimes was part of Judah. Yeah, it's uh, ten tribes of of Israel in the north and then Benjamin and Judah... Uh, you know, as long as we're talking about the canonical tribes, that's that's mm. the division. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> and right now, the the two kingdoms are split. David is only in control of the Judeans. Right. We have to make that clear because mm. well, I think we moderns tend to think of Israel as one big monolithic unit stretching from the uh, you know the the southern bits of Lebanon to uh, all the way down to the Sinai Peninsula. Yeah. Did I say that? Well, I really try hard not to conflate modern Israel with anything to do in here. Well, yeah, I mean, that... <clears throat> absolutely, it's good to do that. <laughs> to not conflate those things is just easy to do. Uh, modern so. Israel goes way farther south than it even claims that um, the United Kingdom ever did. And the by United... United Kingdom, you do not mean Britain. <laughs> no, I mean you the mean United Israel modern. Judah. Yeah. The, the Davidic kingdom and the Solomonic kingdom. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I'm not, I don't actually have an opinion on the historicity of the United Kingdom. I, no, seriously. I would, I, I, I would note that the these tales of it being one big great United Kingdom didn't show up until well after it was redivided, right? Yeah. So how, how are we to know that they're not just, you know... Exaggerated tales of greatness. I mean, you don't want to make There's, up a David who's only in charge of one tribe. Mm-hmm. There's one um, archaeological argument that I've heard. Um, there's basically some city gates built at different. They found three of them, I think. Like one in the north, and then at different parts in the area. And they all like they're all very similar, and they resemble the um, building projects of Solomon that are talked about later. So they're they're a modicum of evidence for some type of, you know, mass building, which would, you know, speak of some sort of unification. But it doesn't really. How long did it last for? What were the exact boundaries? We don't know. Okay. I think one's in Megiddo. Ah, yeah, that's where the world's going to end eventually. (laughs) (laughs) Pastor Terry Jones is going to go there with a big stack of Qurans and burn them. (laughs) Really. I'm alluding, of course, to the word Armageddon, which is from Megiddo. Oh, really? Yeah, that's the word Armageddon is derived from Megiddo. It's a, I don't know, some sort of Greek transliteration or something. Well, I've learned something so far. Yeah, so we've all learned something. I've learned that uh, David was with Judah, uh, which I should have noticed by now, actually. Okay, so um, the story with the Amalekite. Yeah, yeah, he says, I killed that guy because he told me to. The Amalekite story is that Saul said to him, uh, kill me, I'm in the throes of death, or, you know, I'm, I wish I was dying, I'm not, I'm not dead enough, I wish I was dead. What, 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 is it you, what is it you have in your translation? In, in mine? mine? <laughs> sure. Yeah, well, I, I, yeah, but I, I'm in the King James. That's where I am. And, and it's basically the Amalekite. Well, I thought it was kind of because previously, whenever Saul dies, it's more of a... Because we get that whole story previously where he's 
you know, falls on his own sword. Right, mm-hmm. right. And he's like, he tells his armor bearer to kill him, and he doesn't, and so on and so forth. And, and then you get kind of a parallel of that here. That was my only point. Was that I thought it was kind of interesting that, except in this story, he actually says, oh, yeah, I... So so then I killed him, and so here you go. And Yeah, and... And then David then goes on to kill him, which was... <laughs> David kills the Amalekite... Right. ...because he killed... Saul at exactly. Saul's request, right? Who who is the anointed king? I think I think it's supposed to show some sort of honor, right? Because it happens again later, doesn't it? Yeah, that? there's a lot of it happens with um, where are they, Rechab and Bana, right? They huh. kill Ishobeth and then they get killed for it, right? But it's inconsistent because um, Joab does the same thing, but he doesn't get killed. Yeah, hard um, to keep track. Who who does Joab kill at their own request? Um, Abner. Okay, but Abner's not, with not, Saul. He's not anointed though. No, oh, that might be it. I don't know. So right. the, the, I, I thought it had to do with with David trying to, or not. Like I think it had more to do with the the final editors, the redactors trying to make it make David seem like he wasn't trying to overstep his bounds. Like, yes, he was anointed as king, but that he was patient for his time, perhaps, and that he wasn't trying to... You know, he wasn't trying to to make it happen. He was waiting, and so mm-hmm. he was upset with people trying to make it happen. I haven't we uh, seen at this point David leading Philistines against Israel and then Israelites against Judah? <laughs> so, so that yeah. makes him look kind of impatient to me. I mean, he looks like he's he's fighting for the throne. Was he really fighting for the throne? Like, I thought he was just kind of, uh... He just happened to be fighting against those who would need to get out of the way to have the throne. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) But it's all good because he was anointed with oil, and he had a a big agreement with the elders at, uh, what's it called? Well, no, that's to come. That's coming up here in a bit. He gets an agreement with the elders at that place, the first place that he reigned from. Forget the name of it. Oh, Hebron? Hebron. Yeah, Hebron. Yeah. Hebron. Yeah, that's um that's in Judah, of course. Um Oh yeah, um as for the the Amalekite story. Um He was lying. He's an Amalekite. You can't trust him. Yeah, actually <laughs> I actually honestly think Edward might be right about that. Right. I think in, the Amalekite might be lying. In the sense that he was an actual person, or in the sense that the narrative requires that he's lying? No, yeah, in the sense that the narrative says that in the in the universe of the story, the mm-hmm. Amalekite is telling a lie. Okay. And, and, what, and what gives that away in the story? Well, nothing, but later on, it happens. someone else lies and gets killed for it. So it wouldn't be unusual. And it it would ex- I don't know, <laughs> or it could just be a. So they believed him when he said Saul was dead, because they mourned and wept and fasted. So uh-huh. they, they must have believed that part because you don't mourn and weep and fast unless you believe that Saul is dead. Yeah. But they didn't believe him as to how Saul. Was no. Killed? Oh no, they did. They. They believed everything they he said. Him. Okay, so they David and his men believe this this random Amalekite. 
Mm-hmm. So yeah. wh- where's the tell that he's not that he's lying? If he says he's telling the truth, and all the characters that were told to believe say he's telling the truth. Mm. I mean, the division between first and second Samuel isn't meaningful. I mean, this could easily be a direct continuation of the previous story. Oh, yeah. Or it could not be. I mean, I mean, I see your point. I only, I only really like say that because later on it does happen. A character lies and is killed. I believe he's killed for what he says he did, and not for lying. Okay, so we have this at the, up front. We have this: who killed? Who really killed Saul? And and the apologists, well, they'll take different approaches. They'll say this guy's totally lying, but clearly the people who translated the NIV take a different apologetical repro- approach. They start off Second Samuel with Saul saying, I've been dying for some time, but oh, I'm not dead yet. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I ran myself through the sword, but, but the thing is, I suck at everything, including suicide. So that's, that's sort of their take on it. So I've seen at least two different, two different mutually incompatible apologetical approaches to rewriting the story to make it work. Mm-hmm. Uh, which, which, you know, which says to me that they're just grasping at straws, yeah. but, you know. Maybe it can be made into a coherent narrative. That's not really my business. It's not what I'm here for. Mm. What's next? So Ishbosheth's Ishbosheth's name. Uh, where where is that? Oh, um, sorry. Beginning of. I think he's first mentioned. Um, two eight. Okay, so after David's anointed king in Hebron. Oh yeah, yeah. I think that's in like yeah. eleven or something. Oh yeah, I don't want to. Yeah, he's over the house. Well, and it actually says there too, though not in two. I think it's later on where it says that he ruled over Judah for what was like seven years, and then all of Israel for. Well, yeah, in two four they anoint him king over the tribe of Judah in, t- in chapter two verse four. Okay, yeah. Um. So that's that's good and all. Right. And he's still married to Abigail at this point. Side note. Among other people. Yeah, I know. Your, your namesake's in there. Kevin. We'll get a few more. <laughs> um, so Saul's son Ishbosheth, um, in the Chronicles, it's his name is given as Eshbal. Or Eshbaal. Ah. Um, which means son of Baal. And Ishbosheth means son of shame. Huh. And this pattern actually occurs in two other parts. Um, Saul has another son named Mephibosheth. Yeah, he's also known as Meribal, but they, it got distorted to Mephibosheth. Again, they changed Baal to shame because they don't like Baal. Yeah, it makes it happen- sense that that's how they change it. Yeah. Yeah, and it happens again. I'll find it when we get to it the other time. But it's obviously a pattern of them doing a... Oh, it happened with Jerubal, Gideon's other name. Yeah, they, Gideon went from Jerubal to Gideon. No, but when they reference that story here, they change it to Jerubasheth. Oh, for real? Even when they're referencing judges, there's still like a different level of editing where they changed all the balls to Bosheths. Oh, there it is. In, um, in 11... Uh, Nineteen Jerubasheth. Wow. Yeah, Abimelech son of Jerubasheth, which yeah. is Abimelech son of Gideon. Weird. That is yeah, very I thought strange. that was really interesting. <laughs> nice catch. Nice catch. 
I was focused on the whole millstone wall. You know, the, there was a battle going on there, and I was kind of focused on the battle action as opposed to the who killed Abimelech, uh, Jerubasheth. Hmm. Well, we know that Abimelech is the son of Gideon, so... Yeah. And, and what's interesting is that, uh, since I've been consistently using the King James here this whole time, I know that it's not a translation thing. and it's These are these are Hebrew names that are just transliterated into English words. Mm-hmm. So. Right, so it happened in the Hebrew. Right, exactly. So does the next major, I guess, pretty much throughout the first five chapters, is pretty much David becoming king of Judah and then eventually king of over right, yeah he becomes king over Judah at the beginning of chapter 2 right and then at the beginning of chapter 5 he becomes anointed king over the northern kingdom as well right yeah and he sets his throne in Jerusalem which was an independent city state with filled with Jebusites yeah well you got to um, take out those Jebusites uh, do they do they do that here? Yeah, that's they conquer the Jebusites mm-hmm. here in chapter five. They go through and uh, and we have some more of the Hebrews with Disabilities Act. Yeah, they go in and, and wipe out the blind and the lame for reasons that are not at all clear. <laughs> actually, but remember in Judges one eight, um, they already destroyed Jerusalem and killed everyone and set well, they, fire to the city. They got better. <laughs> <laughs> If there's anything the archaeologists of the ancient Near East have learned is that cities can be raised to the ground and a generation later, people will be in them again. Multiple times. Yeah, I guess. Over and over. They wouldn't still be Jebusites if they all died. Well, yeah, there's that. Maybe they'd still be called Jebusites, though, because they live in Jebus. They live in the city of Jebus. (laughs) That's what it's called, right there. (laughs) Wow. So they rename it to Jerusalem when they take it over and make it the capital city. Is that right? Yeah. It it's not quite clear is when it it's renamed, is it? Well, actually, um, I've heard that it, was, it wasn't ever called Jebus. Um, they just called it that because the Jebusites lived there and they just kind of said that because mm. it sounded good. Okay. It was always called Jerusalem. Well, what does that mean, Jerusalem? Is there... Jerusalem... Shalom. Oh, it's it's um, the Salem is Shalom, peace. Uh, so what's the Jeru? Jeru. It means to throw. You're throwing peace. I think. Uh, where am I at? Oh, here? reign of oh. peace. Right, reign, reign, reign of, of peace. peace. Or a yes. boat of peace. That, that's. I've got a boat of peace in there. Kind of a dated name now. I, I found a. Uh, certainly not a very good name for that particular city. <laughs> Except in the sense that everyone, when they see each other there, they either say Salam or Shalom. But if 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 an Arabic speaker meets a Hebrew speaker, I'm guessing they don't use either of those terms. Both of which mean peace. I don't know what the middle finger is in that part of the world, but I bet it's a very popular expression. If one person says Shalom and the other says Salam. Anyway. And they get jabbed beneath the sixth rib. Right, that's always where they stick it, isn't it? <laughs> Just in case you were wondering how to kill someone with a short sword, now you know. That's where it is. Uh, so David, he's king of Judah, and then he's, he gets also to be king of Israel, and uh, and still there's some there was some, some fighting with Saul's family in there. 
uh, some warring between the houses of David and Saul. We saw that. Uh, good stuff. Good classic inter-rivaling between the royal family kind of stuff. Court intrigue. Court intrigue, yes. That's the phrase I was looking for. Just as an aside, um, I think last week, the week before, we were talking about um, when people are fighting in the battles and they line up and like they fight one-on-one. But in chapter 2, there's a great scene where um, 12 people line up and they all stab each other and like all 24 of them fall down dead. Where is that? But, uh, 2.15. Oh, kick-ass. That would be a kick-ass like, scene from you know the, the director of 300. Yeah, like, you can see them all in slow motion stabbing each other below the fifth rib. How did I miss that? Mm. Well, it's 24 chapters of this stuff. Yeah, but that's pretty cool, though. That would, that's definitely something that should be visualized. Mm. Okay, I want to talk about what happens in Chapter 6, because that's... That is yeah. something... Yeah, that's something the that was... always fun. It's just weird, man. Uh... The, the Ark's on a new cart, you know, it's on a brand new cart, so it hasn't been done before, they're trying to move it, and... No, they're supposed, they put it on a new cart every time they move it, if you know. Okay. But the, the point is, this cart is untested. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And as they're going along, they're all celebrating with their harps and lyres and timbrels and sistrums and cymbals, and castanets, sorry, I forgot the castanets. Uh, and then they're celebrating and dancing, and the Ark almost falls off. Because the oxen stumbled, which I suppose they would with all that castanetting and harping and whatnot. I mean, it tripped over a threshing floor. I mean, you had to look out. <laughs> oh, right, yeah. He steered it wrong. God steered it wrong. Huh. Yeah, the threshing floor of Nikon. I suppose that there was a threshold at the threshing floor? A threshold in the very archaic sense of the term? Hold the thresh? I don't know, actually, but um, later on we'll see the temple of the temple itself is actually built over a threshing floor. Not this one, but interesting connection. The point is, the oxen stumble, the ark tips over, and Uzzah instinctively reaches out and pushes it back into place, right? Mm. Which makes the Lord very angry! Presumably because he was hoping the ark would fall over, and then he could smite everyone. (laughs) (laughs) Which he's done before he celebrated by smiting everyone. So he He just smites... No, this guy is easily provoked. This Yahweh fellow is a man of war, as they say. Yahweh is a man of war. That's in there somewhere. We get that at the very end, whenever there's that whole... You know, David's psalm. He talks about God being a man of war. Well, yeah. I was, that's what I was alluding to, I think. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. So, Uzzah steadies the ark, and the Lord lashes out against him. And I love that David... Uh, is pissed about this. Right. David's kind of worried about it. So, he names the place... Uh, outburst at Uzzah, mm-hmm. which, which rules. <laughs> he and to this day, the place is still called the Outburst at Uzzah, which is fantastic. And then what's interesting, then he brings it to the house of um, Obed-Edom, yeah, yeah. who is a Gittite. Mm-hmm. And Gittites are from Gath, which is a Philistine city. So he right. brings it to a Philistine. Mm-hmm. Huh. And this time the Lord blesses the Philistines instead of giving yeah. them tumors. Right, there are no hemorrhoids this time. <laughs> Golden no, or otherwise. Yeah, no, no, no. Hemorrhoids or tumors or whatever those things were. Or mice. <laughs> mice. Mm-hmm. And, and this, this is when it gets really fun. Obed-Edom oh, is I blessed. Love this scene. Yeah, Obed-Edom right. is greatly blessed. 
And of course, uh, incidentally, David celebrates wearing, I'm guessing, not very much. <laughs> uh, it says linen ephod, or wait, what does it say in the KJV? It says linen ephod. Okay, good. Yeah, David, David was girded so. with a linen ephod. Yeah, which I'm guessing is kind of like a loincloth. It's something like it's some kind of priestly apron. <laughs> but that's all he's wearing. He's just wearing this little apron thing. He's not wearing a whole lot because he's dancing with all his might. And as anyone knows, uh, you have to have loose fitting clothes if you want to dance with all your might. Uh, and then Michal, daughter of Saul sees him doing this. She's the one that married him, right? Yeah. And she mocks him. She mocks him very uh, thoroughly uh, for going around half-naked in full view of the slave girls. As any vulgar fellow would. (laughs) She despised him in her heart. She did. She did. And do you know what her punishment is for for despising the half-naked dancing king? Tell us. The Lord shut up her womb. Oh, Mm. no. That's just what he does. That's how he rolls. So, I I have, a, I have so many problems with this story, but my, my biggest problem it comes from this idea that if a woman can't get pregnant, we should assume that it's a curse from God. Mm-hmm. And we've already seen so often women praying to the Lord to open their womb, and then the Lord shows them favor, and he opens their womb. Well, in this case, it's, it's, it's the reverse. Like, he's showing her disfavor and shutting up her womb. So... Mm. Well, they had to explain it somehow. So the it's lesson gone. here is, to all of our Christian listeners, or I should say both of you, um, <laughs> stop using in vitro fertility treatment. <gasps> it is, it, God shut up her womb for a reason. How dare you try to change that now? This is a divine punishment, and you're getting it for a reason. You know the reason. You know what you did. So stop trying to thwart the divine purpose. You mocked your ex-boyfriend for dancing like a fool. Yeah, exactly. Whatever. (laughs) I mean, what what girlfriend hasn't done that? My wife has done that. One of the big problems that I have with this story was actually, or was more had to do with the whole reaching out to catch the ark. I thought that was very bizarre. And apparently even David thought that was very bizarre. Yeah. Outburst. <laughs> right. That was the thing that really stood out to me at this point. But you have a great point there about the... About... Which I guess it does kind of make sense, though, in the context that God did tell them to go forth and multiply. So you would think that if they weren't able to multiply, that it would probably, because, probably be because they were doing something incorrect or that was pissing God off. I find it offensive on on so many levels. The idea that women's primary goal in life is to open up their womb. The idea that you can reward them by doing that. The idea that you can punish them by by shutting their womb. Just Right. uh, And you know I'm pronatalist and all that but God this is terrible. Right. And I, I agree completely but it's just going off of the text. Yeah, you get the sense that... The you know, died. in that time... No. <laughs> right, in, in that time, it makes perfect sense in that culture. That... I wasn't going to say it, sorry. Moving no, on. But what I'm saying is that it, it has grave implications for the the theodicy project, the attempt to make sense of, of suffering. Every time the Bible 
every time that God directly punishes somebody uh, because they've done something bad, it it really it makes it hard to say that well suffering is just it's just a mystery. It's a mystery because over and over again in the early books you see suffering is a direct consequence of pissing God off. It happens in this chapter to at least two people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the whole the whole concept of sin is basically that. Well, yeah, but I mean, for the Christians, the concept of sin is like it has eternal consequences. But mm-hmm. here, it has very immediate consequences. Oh. You sin, and <laughs> God shuts oh. up your womb right then, or He smites you dead right then. Ah, uh, yeah, I see what you mean. Yeah, yeah, that, that's a really great point on the theodicy. I never thought of that, but yeah, that's a, that's a really great point. That so often it's argued that well, you know, God doesn't create all evil; some of it just you know, happens as a result of free will or whatever, whereas in, so far in the Bible, it seems that most of the unfortunate evils, I guess you could call them, that have befallen characters like barrenness or whatever, it seems to be directly the result of God's intervention. Yeah. Do you get the sense yeah. at the end of chapter 6 that David's walking off with the maidservants? <laughs> <laughs> He's like, well, I'm just going to take me these maidservants, which thou hast spoken of, and of them <laughs> I shall be had in honor. <laughs> but you, you will have no children. Certainly certainly no children of David. I think throughout this entire book, David's pretty much a badass. He, he has a couple of wives and has a ton of sons and, you know, and goes off with the maidservants. I, I object to your characterization of uh, unbridled, irresponsible virility. With uh, the <laughs> yeah. badass. Oh, with badass. Okay, fair enough. Fair um, enough. Very badass what he does to Bathsheba. That is okay. That is very true. Yeah, that's that's effed up. And like, where are we about? Oh, we're on the, um, the end of chapter Four. six. Then we skipped ahead a little bit. Oh right. yeah. So we have the incident with the ark, and Michal is cursed with a barren womb. Chapter seven. Um, it's all about Nathan and the house of the Lord, and um, it seems to make a big pun about. Um, between the house of the um, like the ark actually being housed in a house like a temple and the house of David that will house the covenant or whatever the dynasty um, and David's told later on that he doesn't get to build the temple right that's the, the prophet tells him that the does prophet. Nathan tell him that doesn't I'm not but there's actually this interesting difference here between I should point out how um starting around here there's strong parallels between second Samuel and first chronicles they basically share the same source ah, and this so is the whole really, Davidic the whole Davidic line of stories of uh, what's that called there's a name for that the, the court history yeah the court history of, of the house of David is is parallel in both sources. Is it? Because okay. I, I haven't actually gone and like compared them all except for what it notes. Um, well, we things. can just go through it now straight up, and then later on when we get to Chronicles, note all the, you know, this is a parallel to back to Second Samuel. Because mm-hmm. it'll be far easier when we get to Chronicles to notice all the parallels <laughs> than it is now. Yeah. So should I, there's an interesting like one word difference. Should I save it for Chronicles? Uh, uh, no, if it's interesting and it's one word, go for it. <laughs> well, it's 7-7, uh, uh, seven, seven, where it says, um, Wherever I journeyed with Israel, did I ever ask any of the judges 
whom I appointed shepherds of my people. Oh, uh, right, right. Wait, no, it says tribes. And then it's judges. In Chronicles, Chronicles, it says judges. Yeah. Which I think is incredibly interesting, because tribes and judges aren't the same thing. They've had thousands of years to find a plausible explanation for every one of these discrepancies. So. Yeah. Well, in the case of the Old Testament, longer than that. <laughs> there already Chronicles um, resolves the contradiction about Goliath. How does Chronicles resolve the whole Goliath dies again problem? It explains that they were brothers. Oh, right. Right, but then, but then the King James folks write that into Samuel, even though it's not in Samuel. Yeah. yeah I was going to say, I thought the King James said it was, that they were brothers. Mm-hmm. And they, they can say that because Chronicles did, because they can treat it all as one unitary whole. Yeah, isn't that convenient? Okay, so... Hmm. I don't know. That, it's not at all obvious why they made the, the change, the, seven, the chapter 7 verse 7 change. I don't, I don't see... I was going to say, does it have to be that they actually made a change? I mean, couldn't it be that perhaps there was... Well, obviously, there was two separate texts at one point in time, and one of them could have drawn on the other, and... Well, I mean, I'm, I'm guessing there was an original, uh, a separate document. Uh, shared by both. Yeah, oh, okay. a court history okay. document. That right. Got, that and then one copied as, as... Yeah, that is. I don't did, know why Did that you happen mean. to note if the, the Hebrew letters for those two words look a lot alike? <laughs> oh, it was, it was a typo. Well that, well, that would indicate scribal error if that was the case. Tribes is Shibuti, Shibuti, um, and then <laughs> Shibuti call, calling all the tribes. <laughs> One Chronicles seventeen six. One Chronicles seventeen six, and then Judges. Oh, sh- oh, it's what? Shibuti. No way! Oh, totally a typo. <laughs> Shaputi call! <laughs> that is awesome. So we're talking about changing one consonant and a consonantal script. Yeah, it's the same. It's the P and it's the B. Yup, and I can see they look kind of similar. I could see how um, if the little loop in the P got smudged out, it could look like a B or vice versa. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or actually, no, wait, you'd have to look what they look like in Paleo-Hebrew, and we should just move on. We should just move yeah. on. But, <laughs> but we can highlight the possibility that this was a simple scribal error. Call me out if I'm jumping too far ahead, but what about 9, where uh, David goes after Jonathan's son, or doesn't go after, but gets Jonathan's son? Oh, the, He's uh, trying to find uh, someone to whom he can show kindness, right? Right, right. And how do you... Mephibosheth? Mephibosheth, yeah. Mephibosheth, that's it. Uh, I thought that was kind of, because... First, didn't... I I was under the impression that all of Saul's family was dead, but apparently that wasn't so. I guess because... No, they've been fighting with his descendants the whole time. Okay, yeah. Sorry. I don't think these stories are intended to show... like, Like the Jonathan and David stories are intended to show that... Um, despite the documented war between these lineages, that David was a righteous and loving dude who really cared about Saul's line. He was he was not just a usurper, as people say. Definitely. He, he was, you know, the anointed of God, and he was totally loving towards some of Saul's kids, see? Mm-hmm. Or maybe well, he just wanted can... to keep him under control so he didn't become a problem. 
Ah, keep your friends close and Mephibosheth closer. I should point out that um, Chapter 9 starts the actual core history of David. Um, It's not actually... I was under the impression that it was a self-contained unit, but it obviously, like, leads... It's been led into. We've... It's not... It doesn't begin here, but um, this whole block from Chapters 9 to 20 is remarkably, like, coherent and homogenous. Which I think is a really interesting example of, like, it's the exception that proves the rule. Because if the rest of the Bible read this smoothly, I mean, there wouldn't be any documentary hypothesis. We'd be like, okay, it's the Bible. That, that, is, a, that is a great point. Uh, but I want you to expound a bit. When you say homogenous, you mean same tone, same style, same... Yeah, no... I didn't see any contradictions. Stuff, like plot points like develop and are called back on and there's no sunlight jumps to war in different parts of the country. Right. No no literary seams just appear out of nowhere and flash you back or forward into something else. Mm Mm-hmm. People's names don't change. Right. It is... That is is a really good point that we can take this as an exemplar of what it would look like if it really was one author. Mm Mm-hmm. Good point. And I think it's... I mean, I... I think it's connected to a lot of the stuff with, like, the stuff about Jonathan and when he ate the honey and all that, like, really good narrative. I, I assume it's connected back to that, but I don't know. Anyway, that's core history of David. Starting in Chapter 9 and running through... 20. 20. And then there's four chapters of Miscellany, and then the first two chapters of um, Kings finish off the... Um, whatever the strand is. Right on. <laughs> so, so David fights the Ammonites, and da, 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 da. the Arameans are put in their place. Right, and then we get to what the David and the Shiva, which we sort of call me lascivious. I want to. I want to. <laughs> oh no, no! There's a whole bunch more. I mean, the whole bit about yeah, what he I wanna, does. I want to pause on the Bathsheba story. I'd like to point out that Saul gets near to the wall for such a minor thing as trying to sacrifice out of turn. Mm-hmm. And David freaking murders this chick's husband so he can have her to himself. And the Lord's like, eh, I'll punish the baby. And not not just that, he's covering up. Like, it's not so much that he's trying to have her to himself, it's that he's trying to cover up what he did. Right, right. He... He... Because he, I mean, this, he knocks takes, her up. takes this woman in and uh, he takes her uh, to himself. Right, and then uh, takes her. It's not clear how much force and or persuasion or high point beer he used <laughs> to gain her so called consent. But he gets her pregnant, and then he tries to cover up by for it by having this noble soldier Uriah killed, who is like clearly a noble soldier in the narrative. The narrative well, is trying to tell no. you how noble he is. Well, first, first he has him come back. He tries to get him to spend the night and cover it up. Right. Right. Yeah. So First, he totally tries to cover it up. It's like, hey, you should you should come back and and spend some quality time with your wife, yo, and then you've been good out there. That, that, he, he does that like twice, doesn't he? I believe uh, in in the urban translation, that's exactly what he said. You should spend some quality time with your wife, yo. In the street Bible. Paul's from the, from the main streets of Yukon. <laughs> I think that I think that's why he's so noble. He's um, it's pretty tragic. He's like, no, I'll I'll, I'll keep fighting for you. 
Right, that, really that's no what makes the story so horrible. Exactly. And the story's or, trying to be horrible. And the story's really trying to say what a terrible, terrible thing David did. It's not trying to sugarcoat it at all for once. Yeah. I love it. It ends with, but what David had done was wrong in the eyes of the Lord. I like that they put that in there in case you were wondering. <laughs> Why did he kill David? He'd kill someone for touching an ark that's about to tip over. Right. Um, Inconsistent. It... it I seem to remember something in the Ten Commandments about murder, and then something else about adultery. And come to think of it, those are some of the only commandments I would roll with. Uh, and he, he, well, he, he thou shalt not murder is so it, so fuzzy. Thou shalt not murder is pretty useless because you have to define murder. Right. Yeah. I mean, Whatever murder you're... just means unjustified killing, and that leaves a whole lot open for what's justified. Mm-hmm. Good point. Good point. But I, uh, I think we can fairly it's... say that. Uriah's death was unjustified. That, you know, to, yeah. to, to be put in a situation where... I mean, to be put in the heat of battle is one thing. To be put in the heat of battle and then have your guys deliberately retreat from you? Hmm, that's really iffy. I, I like how the messenger comes and tells the story. About... Oh. What does he say? That, <laughs> he's like, tell him this first. Or not how the messenger tells the story, but how he's instructed to him. To tell yeah. the story about telling this sure to get that part in there at the end where you say, "But your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead." You know, and right? Then, we failed, but you know it's okay because Uriah died. Yeah, it's all good, <laughs> yo. They do that a few times. They like they send people. Sometimes it's a messenger, like a wise woman, and they send them out like on this deceitful mission. I think it's great stuff. It really this is this is high drama here. Uh, chapters eleven and twelve. I, if I was going to recommend to somebody to just read part of this book, I would say read that because it's really high drama and, and uh, all sorts of intrigue and terrible, terrible things. Uh, and I would also add that if you're going to watch one VeggieTales episode, <laughs> watch the VeggieTales episode of David and Bathsheba, or as they say, the king and his ducky. I agree. Really? Have you not seen it? It's hilarious. Abby, you're the I've, only one that hasn't seen this VeggieTales episode. I've never seen I think once I was bored and I tried watching the one about Jericho, but I didn't get very far in it. Well, let's just say that it's it's the best case of biblical bowdlerization I've ever seen. <laughs> where instead of adultery and murder, it's about stealing a ducky or something like that, a bath toy. Right. Right down to the whole parable and everything. It's pretty yeah. amazing. Yeah. And then the, the cucumber-shaped prophet comes in. Does right. he die? Do they kill him at the end? No, they've 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 changed the story in a number of ways. <laughs> um, for example, it's not a concubine; it's a bath toy. But you, you, you have to <laughs> say it. No, it's a very first and irrational one. This episode of the Oklahoma Atheist Godcast is sponsored by Veggie Tales. <laughs> not really, though. Go out and watch that episode. So I have a question. What does this say about the birth of Solomon? Not about the birth of Solomon, but about the lineage of Solomon. Like, from my does limited... It say, does it say what her lineage is at any point? I don't believe... Not that I caught. But from my recollection, I thought Solomon was a pretty good... I thought Solomon was thought pretty highly of, and it seems... Of all of the sons that David had had, I don't know. It just seemed like an odd uh, source for Solomon. What was that sound? 
I not my desk. I'm sorry. Oh no, it's just I'm I'm waving my hands around and and making gestures. <laughs> and I, well, I too am very excited about the Bible. Uh, okay, you've seen me speak, and I happen to. Well, do do we know like where Bathsheba? I mean, we know that Bathsheba's husband was a foreigner, but we don't know what what she is, do we? Well, no, it, it's not that. I mean, just the context of the relationship between David and Bathsheba producing Solomon. Oh right. Mm-hmm. Like of 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 all of his wives and, and concubines, why would it be the one that he stole immorally from Uriah? Did he uh, have many honorable relationships to choose from? We don't. Well, there was Saul's daughter that fell in love with him. That was well, then actual... she mocked him from right. The window. That mocked him. <laughs> yeah, he gave he gave Saul his daughter in marriage. Uh, his daughter Michal in marriage in First Sam eighteen. So, and then she was Did the one that was help. in love with him. But then she goes on to despise him because he dances naked in the big uh, celebration with before the Lord thing. And that's when David says, fine, I'm going to go off and screw these concubines. These I didn't girls. read it that way. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he said, I'm going to be, I'm going to take off these, I'm going to take my little, tiny little linen ephod and these slave girls here and they'll, they'll see, they'll see how great I am. I think he was in Rapture of the Lord dancing in front of the ark. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the end when he's having the altercation with, uh, with Michal. And she's saying, I, you know, I find you disgusting. You're dancing like that. And, he, and he's, he says, I will be yet more vile than thus, and will be base in mine own sight. And of the maidservants which thou hast spoken of, of them I shall be had in honor. <gasps> oh my god, you're right. Therefore, Michal, the daughter of Saul, had no child until the day of his death, because he's stooping the maidservants, not Michal. Which is why in the Lego Bible, in the Brick Testament, he's walking off with the slave girls, and she's crying. And that's well, if you say the Lego source, Bible, really. the, the Brick Testament is the only true word of God. Mm. <laughs> I direct you to thebricktestament.com slash king underscore David, where you will get the real truth on this matter. So this, that's how I read it. That he's like, yeah, I'll show you vile. Come here, maidservants. Yeah, I think you're right. I didn't notice. I just just distracted by David dancing, which was really cool. I wish I could be one of those vain <laughs> fellows who shamelessly uncovereth himself. But alas, I have discovered beer, and I'm ashamed to uncover myself. Oh well, I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry. I said it was all the way back to chapter six. We're what around chapter twelve? Thirteen. Thirteen. Yeah, yeah. That's where we get to Tamar. Oh God, the rape of Tamar. Okay, Amnon and Tamar. This is a horrible, horrible story. It is indeed. Uh, but uh, we learned something from it. Maybe I don't know. We learned uh, something. A, a brother. Yes, if you ra- want to rape rape sister, sister and... you pretend like you're sick and you need food. Yeah, yeah, that was kind of clever. Uh, you know what? You know what? This it was story... so clever he didn't even think of it himself. Somebody had the time. This story, part of it rings true to me. It's the way that he despised her after he took her, after he raped her. Yeah, that was and really interesting. I so thought that that part rings true about that kind of personality. That for them, it's all about the conquest, and then afterwards, they're like, just you know, I no longer. I was really it. surprised. Um, my. Bible actually used the word rape. It didn't like use a euphemism. It just says he dishonored her and raped her. I was like, holy shit. Those are two different things? Well, 
the Hebrew actually just says laid down, so they're just kind of taking a liberty with it, but I think they want to make it clear that... But, well, she did say in chapter 12, don't force me. I mean, excuse me, mm-hmm. thir- thirteen verse, chapter 13, verse 12. Uh, and, and almost any version is, you know, do not force me. So it's kind of clear what's going on here because of, of what she said about that folly that ought not be done in Israel. Mm-hmm. So it, it kind of forces the hand of the translator there, I think. Mm-hmm. It doesn't use the word rape in the King James, though. I should note that. It does not do that here. No. What's it say? It says forced and lay with, which I think is a more direct literal translation. Yeah. Uh, but you get the idea. Uh, what? What so, is? Is there so, a moral to this story? Just, did you guys get something from it? Uh, what? Did, what? Did, what? What is a good well, Christian? What is a Christian preacher supposed up, to say to his crowd? It kind of. It kind of sets up the whole. I'm not sure there's a whole grand moral, but it kind of sets up, sets up the Absalom. Is that how you say it? his his whole rebellion? Yeah. Because presumably David, or from what I got from the text, David doesn't really do anything. He's just kind of like whatever. And then <laughs> he was wrath. So he, he was he angry. Yeah, well, he was yeah, very wrath. But that's it. But he doesn't so that, do anything. He I mean, wasn't wrath in the Jehovah smites people immediately sense of wrath. <laughs> which might have been the thing to do in this case. Indeed. For so, once, there's a guy so, who really deserves some serious smiting, and no one does anything. Even God. Uh, not so, even God. So, so touching an ark, not cool, but but raping your half-sister, um, I guess that's not worthy of... of a divine the, smiting. Of, right. Um, so Absalom takes things sort of into his own hands, and then flees, or escapes, or however you want to look at it. And then that kind of sets up the whole next bit about Absalom's rebellion. And okay, then he, because that, Absalom that, takes it into his own hands and kills Amnon. Or actually has his servant. No, he has it done, yeah. yeah he, yeah. he hires a, an assassin or a, a servant. Well, I thought he just commanded his servants to do it. And, Was it? Okay. And, and the one true Bible, the King James, that's what he does. <laughs> so he I'm does sorry, that. the Brick Testament, that's what he does. And he the one kills all Bible. the royal princes. <laughs> The Brick Testament. Uh, so the sons arose, and they get up on their mules and flee. So there may not... I mean, it does not have to be a grand moral per se. It just has to set up the next story, right? Mm. I, I guess. I mean... <laughs> it, Every it, story is about Jesus. I just hope that whenever you, you pray for the Lord to give you uh, guidance, and you open your Bible, that it doesn't open to Second <laughs> Samuel 12. I kind of hope that it does. Yeah, that it does. I wonder how many people, like, today in America pulled that same trick. Because I know I did that as a young evangelical. Like, Lord, give me a word. Uh, Oh, yeah, and I did it, too. It's like casting lots with 1,500 pages (laughs) at your fingertips, you know? It's like the ultimate lot casting. Uh, And most of the time it would come up with some random shit about people getting smote. I'd be like, huh, well, I guess I was supposed to go into the military. (laughs) <laughs> like, that's my lesson for today. 